0: Okay, I'm speaking to Dr. Lorian Fisher, who is an nephrologist and a wonderful colleague of mine, a good friend, a fellow any Pasajero, and coincidentally also does her private practice at a business called Collaborative Specialists, I believe. It's on Lady Mosgrave mm-hmm. Road, and uh, so thank you, Lory, for joining us.
1: Um. Thank
0: you. You're most welcome. Yes. So, you know, I like to be polite. so mm-hmm. <laughs> you key reason, I was just thinking about on a patient and a patient profile. And in the spirit of what I'm trying to do, which is to basically put some health information out there that is easily accessible and interesting. I noticed a lot of my patients fall within your area. In fact, I sent one recently to you. Mm-hmm. And what I really, maybe the best way to frame this, I was thinking that recently, not that patient sent to Laurie, but a uh, little while back, I'd say maybe a month or two, I had a patient who had hypertension and diabetes and it's called it uncontrolled. They pop in and out. I must, I must say that I am in private practice. So they, these patients, some of them don't have funds to see me. So they'll go to the clinic, they'll come to us, they find different ways to get medication. But this particular patient, a little female, and I'd say in her 60s, so not very old, but had basically her blood pressure and blood sugar uncontrolled. And normally and behold, she was having some problems passing urine. And we did her blood work, and her numbers were out and out significantly. And I said, well, you know what? We are going to have to try control this stuff and that's the, the pressure and the sugar and basically refer you to the nephrologist or internist at minimum. No, it will probably be internist based on her pocket, or ability to pay, unfortunately, which would be at, at Kingston Public Hospital. But Elected to refer. So I'm giving this long preamble to say the patient really was in that straits in terms of the her kidneys. The numbers were really out. And to give you some numbers, I would say creatinine of over five hundred. And she was feeling that not only having some urinary problems but lethargic and so on. Mm-hmm. So I I noticed more perspective. Recently, I think it was the Minister of Health talking about the fact that there are a lot of people waiting to get something they call dialysis, which I hope we will discuss a little bit. And the, the issues that that is causing and the fact that it is a problem that we need to address and and very positive things, uh, admittedly in Parliament and otherwise, so in you know, a public platform, so saying all the right things. So what? my question to you, Laurie, which is, uh, I'm asking a very long woundedly So firstly, these sorts of patients, be that this, I'm assuming that such a patient would be now considered chronic because... I hadn't seen a patient in a while and these numbers are pretty high. How does somebody in your line of work deal with that sort of a patient, one? And two, is there any solution that you can see? Or what what are your views on what the minister talks about regarding dialysis in general in this country?
1: Okay, so um, I think we need to start off by defining chronic Kidney disease, and I think that's what a lot of people uh, don't get. So, um, chronic kidney disease is any structural or functional abnormality um, in the kidney, and it's defined as either an impairment of function, meaning that um, the what we what we call um, glomerular filtration rate or the work, the function of the kidney is less than 60. And I'll get into a bit later about what that means. Um, or if there is protein in the urine um, and this abnormality has to last three or more months and it has an influence to health, it influences your health. So um, what does that mean? Um, there are many causes. So in the world, 850 million people live with kidney disease. That's a lot. It's about 15% of our population. Um, We use a test called a creatinine to um, measure um, the function of both kidneys. And it's an estimate or a guess based on the blood test and your age and sex used to be race but now we're woke so we removed race from the equation um it's um and it, it, it a, a normal where the thing is that we're born with a lot of kidney function so um a patient a normal person has a gfr or a function of about 120 in a man and 100 to 110 in a woman. Um, after 40, um, age 40, everything ends after age 40. I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, uh, our function naturally declines um, so much so. So that lends to the, the question of, of why kidney disease is more common in older people So um, when you're 90, your function is no longer 100. It's approaching 50 to 40, and that is considered kidney disease or chronic kidney disease. So that's what we need to define it as. There are specific risk factors for kidney disease. So one, the most common cause of kidney disease in the world is diabetes, right? Right. followed by hypertension. There is some controversy about whether or not hypertension really causes kidney problems, um, but I think this is beyond the scope of this talk. Um, In our population, um, lupus is a really common cause of kidney impairment. There's a condition called polycystic kidney disease in which your kidneys have cysts in them um, and your Born with that, it's a genetic problem. And um, sickle cell disease. And what we're finding is that sickle cell trait itself increases the risk of kidney disease. And there's some really good studies actually looking at that. So, we actually, so the big thing is um, being black, because we actually have a gene which increases our risk of having kidney problems. So, if you imagine a country like Jamaica, we have a lot of risk factors for kidney problems so the reason why kidney and kidney disease amongst the most you know know, chronic diseases like you know heart problems um uh lung disease etc is actually increasing in prevalence and we think that's because we are getting older we're all living longer right and our kid as i said before kidney function declines over time uh, as we age sorry Um, We are also more sedentary and we have more risk factors. So being overweight or obese increases your risk of kidney problems, um, hypertension, diabetes. So you're getting more of those, you know, lifestyle diseases. Now we're moved away from this infectious diseases as our causes of death. Um, Interestingly, there is a relationship between viruses and Chronic kidney disease. Um, so uh, again, beyond the book of this talk. So um, I start out to say that is the beginning of everything. So back to this patient. The problem with kidney function is that you don't get signs and symptoms unless you have really bad function, right? We our kidneys are very good at adapting. So. For example, that lady may have had a long-term history of impairment of function, and she may have not had signs at all. One of the things that may be a sign is actually increasing or difficult to control blood pressure, but that doesn't happen until the kidney function is significantly impaired. Um... So uh, that is the thing. A lot of people um, with the only way to know somebody's kidney function is to do a blood test. because you even at a function of, of let's say 30 or so you may not have signs, um, clinical signs, you may feel okay. Um, you may have some swelling of your feet, but you know everyone thinks that's because they're getting older or they have a circulation problem. Uh, you may have, High blood pressure. Um, But you may think, oh, I just have high blood pressure. So these are the things to trigger uh, response, trigger testing. Um, I think the most people with kidney disease in the world are not on dialysis, it's only a small portion. The problem, though, is that um, as when you develop kidney problems, or when you develop chronic kidney disease, the natural history over time, it will decline and you end up on dialysis. The leading cause of death in kidney disease is not going on dialysis. The leading death of kidney disease is heart failure or heart disease. So most patients die of a heart condition, whether that's a heart attack or a stroke or heart failure before they end up on dialysis. To answer your question about, so just to give you some local data, um, Mm. if we use the current definitions about 5%, um, if we use the older definitions of CKD, about 5% of the Jamaican population has a function less than 60, and that means impaired function. Um, That's relatively high if you consider that, remember kidney disease also means protein in the urine as well. So it's probably much higher than that, right? Yes. Um, based on that study, about 40,000 Jamaicans at present um, will need dialysis. Um, they're already at stage the stage where they would need it. So um, if you think about that, there are, although there are 26 units in the country, only three dialysis units um are are free to the um are free well actually sorry four um so it's mobay kingston public hospital um spanish town hospital and mandeville regional hospital um mandeville is a relatively small unit so it's spanish town so it's only those people and Really, standard of care for hemodialysis. So, if you were in America or in the UK, you would be dialyzed three times a week. In Jamaica, because of cost, most people can't afford three times a week. Um, they do two times a week, which is actually by definition inadequate in dialysis. Um,
0: and what is that cost, so, Lori? I don't. Uh, I was so the was, range
1: for private dialysis is anywhere between what I've seen is anywhere between ten to seventeen thousand dollars per session. Um. So it let's look at the lowest cost. So if you're ne- and you need this session, you need to do it. If most people do it twice a week, that's twenty thousand dollars a week. That's eighty thousand dollars a month. And we haven't included medication in that cost to travel to the dialysis unit, right? Um, and remember, the because the kidney affects not just the, the kidney itself, like toxins from the kidney, it also affects blood pressure, it affects blood count. Um, most dialysis patients are on a number of medications, the average is about 10. So if you add all those costs together, it can be a lot. Um. It, the The epidemic of kidney disease is not just in Jamaica. It is not a Jamaican problem. It is a worldwide problem. Um, and there have been projected, in based on like in 2020, we did an analysis of the um, global burden of disease. And chronic kidney disease is actually one of a very high burden in the world. And interestingly, well, not interestingly, but a disproportionate degree of that burden is in middle-income countries like Jamaica. Um, and even in the U.S., they spend a lot of, almost a third of their healthcare budget is on dialysis.
0: So you, you, you've you said so much, Laurie, and it's a lot. I'm just here listening to these numbers and it sounds, quite frankly, frightening. But, yeah. you know, he, uh, to go back to what... The minister so was talking about uh, this is something that we were in it, even as a student, and that's uh, early when I started working. I realized that this is a very big problem because, you know, the, a few different things. You, it's it, the best idea. Even I, th- I think you no, know, and I think this is a reasonable thought that is that it does pre- prevent. But yeah. some of it, it seems as if it's difficult to prevent. For example, those- so you- I
1: wouldn't say that at the moment. So I would say that um, some conditions you can prevent, right? Um, you know, a lot of things that we don't like doing, like exercising, myself included, low salt diets, um, all prevent or reduce the rate of kidney disease. So having a healthy diet, physical exercise, maintaining a normal weight. I know it sounds boring, (laughs) Mm. but these things are really important things. Even with people who have kidney disease, patients who exercise and um, have a low salt that their rate of decline of kidney function is less than those who do not. Um, And I think that's important. I think the thing with kidney problems is that if you catch kidney disease early for with a few exceptions, um, you can reduce the rate at which the function declines. In some conditions, like lupus nephritis, for example, you can treat it if you catch it early. Um, and there are no newer drugs that um, are helpful in reducing that rate of decline of function. So, yes, prevention is one arm. Keeping a healthy diet um, keeping, you know, um, a good, a normal body weight, um, having physical activity, regular physical activity, we're talking about 150 minutes per week, um, are preventative measures, but at the other arm, it's early screening and, um, identification of persons at high risk. So, um, one of my nurses who's a dialysis nurse always says you know know your numbers so know what your blood pressure is know what your sugar is know what your kidney numbers are um and it's a blood test and a urine test really um and the urine test doesn't have to be a fancy one it can just be a simple urine dipstick um mm-hmm.
0: That was my exact question. Can the dipstick alone suffice? Because the, it's um, a challenge to get the patients to do any kind of blood work.
1: So that's- the best, the best. I'll t- start off by saying what what the best is. The best thing is doing a um a creatinine, and if you can cystatin C, but that's not um going to happen here <laughs> because that's abroad. But um and a urine albumin creatinine ratio for albuminuria, right? That's the best. Short of that, a dipstick can pick up. so if you're at one plus urine you have at least 30 milligrams per gram of protein urea that defines ckd right mm-hmm. So if you can't even if you can't get and there are problems with dipstick but even if you can't afford let's say you're in a government like and you, you know urine albumin crack ratio is not available available. And it's something that we should push for in the government as, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of, in government hospitals, because it's actually a relatively cheap test. Um, and a creatinine. So it's a creatinine and a urea, electrolytes, and a urine, a simple dipstick. Because if you have one plus protein and it's consistent, you don't have an infection, there's nothing else going on, um, it, that you have kidney disease.
0: You know, I, that, that, well, that is heartening because I, sometimes I don't know if I have lack of confidence in some of the dipsticks. I, yeah. I don't know, you know, it, because I noticed that even when I, you keep it closed, these are these stick-like, anybody listen to this, mm-hmm. that we test the urine when they stick in these stick-in structures. They, I noticed that sometimes, you know, you would get something that looks like, Protein, I repeat it, and it's not there. I mean, it could be a patient. And
1: that you know. can be physiological. So um, sometimes it depends on when you do the dipstick. It also depends on the concentration of your urine. Um, the, the, the trick is, you know, what is this patient's risk factor, right? And is the protein neural consistent? Um, so you we usually say three or more dipsticks that are positive. I mean, if you're concerned that, you know, this person continues to have proteinuria, um, you can quantify it on a 24 hour collection to see. But if someone, you know, you come to their office every time and there are two plus protein each time, then I think that should prompt you to check to see if there is the amount of protein in the urine
0: okay well so if we if we get say to use a hypothetical no if we get somebody that has something like that I send them to the lab and they put through a number here lot well, labs use 120 could be 124 if the patient is like for example 130 what to do at that point point? 130 that...
1: milligrams in 24 hours
0: no I'm talking about the Excuse me, the creatinine. The,
1: oh, the creatinine. Uh, okay. Right. So I think what's important is that how old is this person?
0: All right. So I saw somebody like this recently, and that, per, that person was in their 30s. 30s. Right.
1: So, at, uh, um, and is this a muscular person or a male it's or female a muscular m- person?
0: Male, medium build, and okay. no other risk factors that I was over you just did the-
1: So, this is the problem with creatinine testing. So, creatinine is a measure of your muscle. Um, so, uh, it's not a perfect test to estimate function because that's why they have EGFR on it. Um, you know, it's an estimate, it's a guess. Um, that being said, it's kind of like a two edged sword because Black people are at high risk of kidney disease. So what to ignore, what not to ignore. Um, at 130 at age 40, that sounds a little high. His, if you take it into context, his GFR should be about 90. At 130, it's about, 50, about 60 something. Yeah. So um, I would check to see for him, does he have pro- other evidence of kidney damage? So does he have protein in his urine? um, does he have a high blood pressure? Uh, the other thing that I tend to look at as well is uric acid is, is, is uric acid high? Because that also gives you a cardiovascular uric acid in my mind. I mean, one thing is that when your kidney function is impaired, you can't get rid of the uric acid. So it builds up. And the second thing is uric acid is kind of like a marker of kidney, well, marker of cardiovascular disease. So People who have high uric acids are more likely to die from heart problems. And for patients with chronic kidney disease, that's the big thing that's going to kill them.
0: And the reason for that, could you explain that? It's
1: the... not clear. Um, oh, we're not okay. sure why people with high uric acids tend to die um, earlier. When you compare people with normal uric acids to those with high uric acids, they're more likely to have a heart attack, They're more likely to have heart failure or a heart Absolutely. problem. We're not sure why. Um, We're also not sure if treating it makes a difference. Um, So the guidelines on that, unless you have a risk, unless you have like goat or something like that, you should treat. But um, even in progression of kidney disease, it's not really clear. But I think that's a separate question. Um, I think that you have to, uh, uh, the judgment about creatinine is, measurements back to your original question mm-hmm. depends on the patient in front of you um and sometimes i think what's best as well is um trying to stratify what is is cause what is causing this because maybe that person with a creatinine of 130 may actually have polycystic kidney disease um and so you know maybe we need to check his do our ultrasound of his kidney to see you know um I I think sometimes we and it may also just be nothing. It just may be that his creatinine is 130 and mm-hmm. the hundred the creatinine is not a good measure. But I think sometimes in our population where we have a lot of high risk people, it's probably better to kind of jump on it when possible.
0: So, so, you mentioned something, Laurie, that I just want to, I just sort of interest because I do meet patients with with lupus in my practice and um, you know, West Rural St. Andrew in Stony Hill there. So, and every now and again, I do meet the, pe- the patients with lupus. You're saying that our rate seems to be a little higher compared to the world? Um,
1: I think that. So, we're going to be biasing in. Black people with lupus, their kidney disease, their their kidney disease is a little bit more aggressive than other people. Um, uh, Although as much as race is a social construct, um, it does influence lupus. So first, I'll start off by saying that kidney disease in lupus is really common throughout the world. So 60 percent of people who have lupus will have some sort of kidney disease in their lifetime. That's about two thirds of them. All right. So um, that's the first bit. Uh, the second thing is when people, um, uh, African when, and this is based on African-American data, so I can't relate, mm-hmm. um, and even our data, um, uh, this is published from um, Dr. William's time, if you remember him, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, or, or responses to medication um, that we used to treat lupus, may not, uh, may not be as great. And we're more likely when we have kidney problems from the lupus to end up on dialysis. The problem is that it's not clear whether or not is it that we're not catching them early enough, right? Because in lupus, in order for you to have a good response, you have to be early in your treatment, right? So time to treatment is a really, is I know there are more recent studies looking at this. So time to treatment is a big determinant of whether or not you're going to, get better from the lupus, um, kidney effect, the kidney problems from the lupus. Um, uh, the, the problem I've had with managing a lot of lupus patients locally is, um, you know, medications can be very expensive. And the drug that tends to work in black people is a drug called Celcept or mycophenonate motifil, MMF. Um, and that can be quite expensive. And for lupus, nephritis because of the degree of inflammation. So sorry, lupus nephritis means kidney disease involving the uh, lupus. You have to treat for at least three years. Um, It's kind of like we say remission, lupus is not cancer, but um, you try to to get a remission, meaning resolution of the protein in the urine, resolution of the blood in the urine, resolution of the worsening kidney numbers, um, and usually treat for three years.
0: Oh. and the cost of that drug can
1: local. be high um mm. I, know, I know that we have it's covered lupus is now co- partially covered by nhf so yes. it still covers it but it's still pretty high you know um i i'm not sure the cost and i'm i'm, I'm going to be misquoting, but i know my patients have told me in the public setting that you know it's been it's really expensive um there are other the, the the things that we need to work on is trying to get like you know the drug companies to subsidize to the Caribbean because what I have found is that some of these immunosuppressive the medications that we've used mm. for lupus mm. some of them are actually cheaper in the states which I find very strange mm. so um I think that has to do with just the Caribbean the distributors in the Caribbean
0: it's yes, the way they structure their program so medication I don't even think we can get locally as. Based on what I'm told what they said what they tell me in my office, they it, you so complete discussion. what I was saying as well, and I think other people have suggested this, that we could look at improving or increasing or transplant transplants we do locally and um, the kidney transplants. I agree and, with
1: that. Yeah. Um, I think in the long term that's more, if that's more cost effective, um, uh, the, the, so transplant does two. So what we call treatment of um, end stage kidney disease, which means that your kidneys are not functioning at all. Um, a function of less than 15%, one five, um, mean um, the treatment of that is what we call renal replacement therapy which means either dialysis um, which most people know as hemodialysis or blood dialysis so you go on a machine that takes blood from you cleans it and gives it back to you Um, that's the one that we discussed earlier which is usually three times a week or transplants kidney transplantation um, which you can get from a live donor meaning somebody gave you their kidney as a donation um, because most people can live with one kidney <laughs> um, um, and, or as a deceased donor. Um, so someone who was in a car accident, but has perfectly normal kidneys. Um, yes, kidney transplant is uh, ideal long-term. And even within high income countries, most people, um, the rate of kidney transplantation is not where it should be, right? Um the reason for that is multifactorial. Um, one, availability of organs. There's only so many organs and so, and much more people. Uh, two, maybe some controversial stuff, which I don't want to talk about, mm-hmm. but yes, dialysis yes. makes money. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the impetus from these dialysis companies are not to get people transplanted because they lose business. Yes. Um, I, there is a push to try to improve transplantation here, but I think a couple of things need to happen. Um one is that when you're on when you have a kidney transplant in order for your body not to reject the kidney meaning that when you get a kidney the body sees it as a foreign object and your body is really good at getting rid of foreign objects so you have to be on a medication called anti-rejection medication, which you have to take every single day for the rest of your life in order to prevent your kidney from rejecting. This usually is three medications. And one of them is very cheap, but it's prednisone, but the other two can be rather expensive. Um, and uh, it, it it in it, the cost of that long term has actually caused quite a few of the transplants that we've been doing to fail. Um, it's a little bit, and and I I think there also needs to be um, sustainability planning for our transplants. Um, additionally, there needs to be um, for the deceased donor transplants in our legislature. It doesn't allow us to get uh, kidneys from a patient who died. Um, they used to do kidney transplants from deceased donors a while back with the days of Lawson Douglas. Yes. Um, and Jamaica was actually the first Caribbean country to do kidney transplantation um, back in the eighties. But um, what, what caused this program to fail long-term was the availability of uh, immunosuppressive medications. And I think that the we can speak and say many things, government politicians can say many things, but without investing in a transplant program, it's not sustainable. You have to invest in it, yes. um, meaning invest money, invest equipment, invest drugs, um, invest laboratory support and enable the systems in the healthcare system to allow kidney
0: transplantation to occur that's exactly right i think that that is a common feature that you could expand and extrapolate to our healthcare generally because for example the some of the machines like ct scans and these other machines and even the x-ray machines where it's working in a new lorry, they the service contracts, so they would purchase the medication, and they would sign up for the purchase contracts. And well, unfortunately, as as I understand it, they wouldn't maintain these contracts. And these people are in the business again; it's commerce, it's a business. So without pay, they would have challenges to come and service the equipment. And for that, some of the equipment, interestingly, the technicians have to come from abroad. And so yeah. this is like the whole this is this whole procedure that it's not set and forget it's like it's a continuing ongoing and that's how healthcare is I think that's uh that's something I need to look at i don't know how it will be helped in fact I like ask this question at the end of this which i I hope we'll get to as well so it 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 really uh, I looked at some of the numbers and I saw that Laurie just briefly looking at a lot of these transplants failed. And thank you for clearing that up. I was wondering why. You know, I, I also got asked this recently of somebody with a relative that the doctor wanted to do something called a biopsy and uh, mm-hmm. who had really uh, my end I'd say chronic kidney failure. And so I was asking, where is the threshold? When does the doctor decide to do that? And in mm-hmm. generally.
1: Okay. Well, that's a really good question. Um, so just to explain what a kidney biopsy is, it's taking a small sample of the kidney and looking under the microscope. And a kidney biopsy will tell us two thing, a couple of things. One is why is this kidney not working? Why are both the kidneys not working? And how much scar tissue is in the kidney. And that can tell us that's a really good marker of whether or not this person is going to end up on dialysis very soon. Um, It's really important to know why someone has kidney problems because some conditions are treatable. Um, So if you give, for example, if a patient has lipos or if a patient has protein in the urine, a lot of protein in the urine, And they have a condition called membranous nephropathy. um, We can give them medication and the protein in the urine and the kidney function can get better. Um, So the indications for kidney biopsy is one when we're not quite sure what's causing the kidney problems. They don't have traditional risk factors Um, or um, in specific disease conditions like lupus. Where there's protein in the urine, a kidney biopsy is needed to know how the lupus is affecting, how is the lupus affecting the kidney.
0: Okay. So, okay. So, to, to sort of clear up the diagnostic conundrum so that you can address it if possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, there.
1: One um, other thing, too um, certain conditions recur in a kidney transplant um so example one maybe even if you are not able to treat the condition it's important to know why the person's original kidney failed because one of the reasons that new kidney can fail is because whatever caused the kidney to fail in the first place can occur back in the new kidney
0: so uh, uh, so many follow-up questions here, but I notice time is getting away from us, so I think, uh, and again, I thank you for joining me, Laurie. Mm-hmm. The I guess the the, the the best way to ask this and I suppose uh, we can just go to this now, and since we, we mentioned briefly a earlier, the, the- we are living in this wonderful country with all this wonderful medical talent and people like yourself and all of these wonderful individuals and in my opinion, medics and nursing and others. And mm-hmm. I always ask people, I, I do think that our healthcare system could be better on many levels, I mean, objectively. So, yeah. So are... Oops. <laughs> In your estimation...
1: I'm sorry about that, yeah. That's no no, cool. problem. no problem. Yeah.
0: So, so my question is, how do you think we could improve our healthcare, uh, generally? Any thoughts in your area and generally?
1: Oh, wow, that's a loaded question, Ran.
0: I was only returning to but I said, you know. In, we learn, in, you know oh, wow.
1: I think healthcare needs organization i think it needs because i, I ultimately and the, the problems i've worked at different hospitals in jamaica i've worked at salv hospital i've worked at kph i've worked at ua i've worked in health centers uh the common denominator is just a lack of healthcare organization and admi- administration um uh, We don't, uh, you know, what is our healthcare budget? How is it assigned? Um, Who maintains the equipment? Who uh, maintains, um, who follows up on our medical conditions? You know, how many surgeries do we do per year? How many breast cancer surgeries are we doing? How many people are on dialysis? These are questions that we don't have the answers to. And that's a shame, right? Because then how, how can you track a condition um, and know what is needed for each condition if you can't, um, if no, if there is no, I want to say, if there's no accountability? So I think the problem is twofold. So there is no management and no accountability. And that is where it needs to be done. Um. Uh, we have shifted from a population of non communicable and, I mean, sort of, of, of infections. So we're not, infections are no longer, well, except for COVID recently, but, yes. you know, uh, infections are no longer the leading cause of morbidity and healthcare utilization, right? Or malnutrition. Malnutrition and infections are no longer causes of healthcare utilization. Those, usually had short stays in the hospital and were not chronic follow-up conditions. Our predominant problem, leading cause of death in Jamaica is stroke. <laughs> um, so um, it, that points towards you know primary and secondary prevention. Um, so making enough staff, enough resources in health centers. You know, making sure that people don't use the accident and emergency as a clinic, <laughs> making sure people have access to good primary care because our healthcare centers are overrun, right? And um, having also, um, you know, timely, maybe better relationships with the medication companies or the drug companies. Cause I think sometimes the, the, the overall, um, they can get overall. I mean, I, I get that a business needs to make money. Um, but I think that they could get more out of the high pharma, the pharmacological companies. Um, that's one aspect. The second aspect is that we have a huge brain drain. So, um, nurses, uh, we can't have a healthcare system without nurses and nurses are leaving in droves yes. and um uh the the my concern overall and again this is very controversial mm. is that um we don't have there's no impetus for them to stay because they're not getting paid or they're, and they're not advancing in their careers mm. so um we can't compete with the U.S. or Canada or the U.K., but if we can maybe do something to help to incentivize nurses to stay, um, because a lot of even the clinics could be run by nurses. Um, Diabetes can be in many other countries are not run by doctors. It's run by nurses and you would have, a lot of our medical conditions could be managed by those nurse practitioners and nurses in the hospital. So I think that the that's a loaded conversation. But um, <laughs> I'm not going to say any more on that.
0: Yeah. Um, no, you that, that was good enough. I, I genuinely, it's really. Something that I think about a lot and it's really me being curious about how people, my, my colleagues would solve this problem because I recognize that and I realize that I was speaking to one of our colleagues, nursing colleague recently in this forum, Forum. Lorian, she was saying that that the essence of what you said to give them some sort of way to feel basically good about what they're doing so you won't give more funds but maybe you'll give benefits maybe you will actually advance career advancement can occur because you could be trapped in not trapped but you have further aspirations of doing something wonderful with your registered nursing and you basically you will have very, a great difficulty advancing to do a uh, course mm-hmm. in the nurse practitioner nurse anesthetist, or so, you now if you can with funds you can do it yourself and then the next step after that usually reach that stage mentally they'll say well jamaica it's been fun i can't really take this anymore and that's that
1: yeah and i think we frustrate a lot of people it's not necessarily a financial problem it's a upward mobility problem um and we we frustrate a lot of people because of that
0: yeah, so it's like everybody wants to do the same things in life to improve, and not only financially, just to feel like what you're doing, you're advancing. And it it's it really it's 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 a great cause of concern. And and even as I understand it, I was talking to another one of our colleagues, Laurie, that she was saying that a lot of our colleagues who can't do what you did, which is so wonderful. And to just repeat that you, you, you what you, there are for Us as doctors, we can do some further studies and basically get to train abroad. And if you so desire, you can actually stay there. So it, it so some people who have a desire to migrate. Some of our colleagues have been doing a nursing course, so that's an interesting path. And because as of right now, the nurses are highly, you know, sought after. And okay. so they, and so that's, that's an interesting one, you know, it, it's it's so, and that is a doctor who probably could be helping out in some way in this country. So, and if you want to look at it even broader, a lot of these people train at of West Indies that is still subsidized. So no, no matter how you pay your way, Scotch, but otherwise it is still subsidized. So it's 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 um uh, it's something that I think they really need to work on. And and this is why you know, that's this is really the the reason for this question, you know.